Holy Spirit's always a fun topic. You know, like we talked about this the last few weeks. You know, we are here in the Bible Belt. We, uh, we live in an area where, you know, as we've talked about, sports are quite divisive. You know, uh, if you're an Okie fan, any, any Okies in the room? Proud of it. Texas fan, Longhorn fans, I wouldn't raise your hand if you are a Longhorn fan, but, you know, just kind <clears> of, <throat> sports are quite divisive, but something else also is as well. Uh, in the same way that we have things that are quite divisive in this part of the country, few things are as divisive to Christians in this part of the world like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, specifically speaking in tongues. You are talking about an issue that has caused so many churches uh, you know, you know, to be birthed. When you drive down the street and you see all sorts of churches on, you know, right across the street from each other, the, the Holy Spirit has been a reason that you know, half these churches were, were all created. Uh, the church that we used to come from, uh, the, the, it used to be a Methodist church. The Holy Spirit broke out there, and they, they were in love, allowed them to have this land across the street where they could go and embrace the Holy Spirit, and they could still be family. But when they, when they met on Sunday, this church didn't have the Holy Spirit, and that one did. You know? uh, so again, you know, it, it's a hot topic for us. Um, last Sunday was a little bit more of a talk. I'm not sure what in the world happened last Sunday. The uh, the A.B. team was back there like, he's not hitting his notes, what's he doing? <laughs> so last Sunday was more of a chat than a sermon, would you agree, if you guys were here last Sunday? And uh, so what came from that was we just wanted to kind of get real uh, about this Holy Spirit topic and just acknowledge that there's good, there's bad, and there's ugly. There is God, there is a Spirit of God that is always at work, He's always uh, present, and He's ushering in the kingdom of, of, of heaven onto the earth. And that when that happens, sometimes we don't have reasons to explain what it looks like or why it happens that way. At the same time, we also acknowledge that there's some bad things that happen. There, there's something that happens in the Spirit of God that moves to where people are tempted just to get crazy. And then you get the ugly. And things can get real ugly. I mean, who's ever been to a Pentecostal meeting where things were good? Has anyone ever been to a church where things got a little ugly? <laughs> Were you part of the ugly? <laughs> Come on, laugh a little bit. Come on. It's vacation day, right? It's Memorial Day. You guys are here on vacation, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, we, we just had to be real and acknowledge that this, the Holy Spirit is, is uh, how you put that, as uh, Newland put it, He is the untamed God. He's the Spirit of God that's at work, and He moves the way however He desires to move. And so for us, uh, as a church family, we, we had to kind of make an agreement together that we want whatever is truly God. If it's really God, then we want all of it. But if it's not all God, we don't want it. <laughs> you know, you can keep it somewhere else, okay? And, and so uh, we had our chat last week, and, and from that we kind of stood up and, you know, we prayed together. And, you know, we told the Father that, again, we accept the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we want all of Him, and to the best of our ability, by the grace of God, we want to avoid all of the fake and the fluff that sometimes comes with it. So as we do that, now we're going to learn about how the Holy Spirit manifests in the church. Okay, what does it look like? Why does it do these things? And so uh, to do that, I want to talk about the importance of touch. Who here knows how important touch is? Anybody? Who's ever had a baby? Okay, when that baby's crying, and it's not hungry, or, and it hasn't pooped, okay, what is it after? Touch. 
Sometimes, specifically, mama's touch, right? Like, you know what the father gets? Oh, it's okay, you know. Yeah, Dean, that's you, right? His child has never cried around me once. But he just told me, right? He cries every time we have to transfer from mommy to daddy? Really? Oh. <laughs> he wakes up with dreams of mama. Got it. So touch is crucial, and, and so I was, I was kind of thinking about the sermon, and I do some research, and I found some crazy articles that I want to share with you guys. Uh, let me read this for you. It's from the Huffington Post. This article is about orphanages. Um, what they're finding with orphanages was that 30 to 40 percent of newborns were dying in these orphanages. They wanted to figure out why. So the scientists uh, did some research. Here's what they found. But how could simply being in an orphanage kill a baby? Basically, they die from a lack of love. When an infant falls below the threshold of physical affection needed to stimulate the production of, of uh, growth hormone and the immune system, his body starts shutting down. So research shows that a uh, physiological pathway that produces this effect, which was first understood as runt syndrome in mammals, in litters of uh, puppies and kittens, even rats and mice, oftentimes one or two animals are smaller than the rest. The weakness exhibited by these animals, uh, it signals to the mother that they have little chance of survival. So to make sure her genes live on, she would she'd be better off limiting her resources to make sure that the rest of her puppies survive. This signal, it works like this. In some species, each baby has a preferred nipple. The weak, one, the weak ones don't suck strong enough to stimulate the nipple sufficiently. So consequently, the mother does not lick or nurture the baby. Pause. It's scientific, I know, but you understand what they're saying. So here's the runt, okay, the small puppy. It's too weak, okay, to actually to, to get milk whenever it's trying to eat. And so what happens is because it's not strong enough to get milk, the mother will not lick it or nurture it it will begin to ignore that puppy to allow it to die. So it's not, it's not only dying from the fact that it can't get much milk, now it's going to die because it's going to be neglected on purpose. And so what happens here for the runts, and so what takes place here, whenever they lack the licking and the nuzzling that's necessary to, to produce the growth hormone in the brain, without that hormone, Food is not able to be metabolized properly, and the growth and development is not able to take place. So what's happening here, it's still getting milk, but because it's not being touched from the mother, this hormone that is released with touch, which is what allows this puppy to process the milk. So now because it's not being loved, it cannot even use the food it's eating. Without love, these puppies are dying. And so they, they found this research. So what happens here, they went on to study these babies in these, uh, these um, orphanages. And what they found was that because these orphanages were understaffed, these babies were only able to be fed and changed because, like, there's too many of them. So there wasn't enough time for these people to give individual affection to each baby. 
so that these, baby, these babies are fed and changed. In, in essence, they're getting everything that we would think that they would need to survive. But 40% of these babies are dying simply because they are not being touched. From the 67% of babies that did survive, 30% of those babies had brain damage. and were affected for the rest of their lives. They were never able to fully mature into the way that they were supposed to because of the lack of physical touch. Let that sink in. I mean, that's terrible. I know it's sad. But let that kind of reality sink in. We were created by this triune God, right? This God that in, in His very nature is relational. We were created for relationship with God and with each other, and yet from birth we have this deep ingrained need to receive love, specifically through affection, through physical touch and affection. And so with this understanding, I mean, goodness gracious, I mean, just think about that. When we do not receive touch, we are unable, first of all, to survive. It, it hinders survival, it hinders maturation, and ultimately, even if we survive, even if we grow physically, we are never able to flourish, to accomplish everything that we could accomplish because we have not received physical touch. What they also found from these studies was children who went on to be murderers, rapists, all these different things, right? There's one thing they all found. These children were not receiving adequate physical touch at young stages of development, from ages zero to five. Oh, my gosh, right? Now, I have an example of this here at home for me. Liam's my two-year-old, and he has some kind of a, it's like an ingrained clock. Um, if you had kids and you're starting, you have a new child on the way, the youngest one is always the most sensitive to it. It's almost like they just know there's about to be more competition for attention from dad and mom. And so for the last three months, Liam has had this, this, this weird thing where he will be playing and just stop and sprint to me. Dad, 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 hold me, hold me, hold me. He will run to my leg, wrap his arms around my leg for about five seconds and go. Once I hug him back, he just runs off. He's all better now. Now. It's interesting for him, okay, because he, he's not the affectionate one in the family, okay? His, his older brother was the quiet one, super affectionate, and like Liam was always kind of the wild one. But now, all of a sudden, we are really seeing this need in him as well. And he can, I mean, he does it at least three times an hour. He'll just sprint to me, and he just wants that five-second of embrace, and then he's good to go. Now, spiritually speaking, in the Scriptures... We need to understand that we not only need the touch from our parents, our loved ones, but touch from God Himself. If you look back at the Garden of, uh, of Eden, the one thing that we see when there's separation, this God used to physically walk in the garden. This God who would physically walk and talk and breathe. And of course, when we see Jesus who walks, talks, eats, hugs, touches, you know, we, we have this God who was, was filling this need that we were created for, this need to be touched. And what happened in the garden, we had the separation from God. 
where we are not able historically as humans to receive the touch we were built to need. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19. All right, here we go. And so what's going on here is, uh, you know, Jesus has been, has been crucified. He's been resurrected. What's happening here is um, the women have just returned with the story of, of the fact that, that they've seen Jesus. His disciples who have been with him for years now, they, they've had his company. They've been able, they've had foot washing and they've been able to take Passover. They've been able to hug and to touch. They've been with Jesus for years now. Now he is physically absent. They have not seen him or heard from him yet, okay? The women have, though. And so the women come back and they're telling of the story. He's back, he's alive, all these things. But you still see that there's something missing for the disciples. They're hearing the story that Jesus has returned, but the hope has not returned to them yet. There's something missing for them. And so what happens here, John 20, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 19. So that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Here's what he says. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. Now again... What's going on here, right? Here's a resurrected body, right? That physical flesh body. He's standing here. He's showing them the wounds. He's showing them the holes. And so what follows right after this, of course, is Thomas, where Thomas gets the chance to touch. See it? Touch. And so he's showing them his physical... Again, he's not just here in spirit, everyone. Remember, we, we learned this with the Heaven Series, right? He's here in his resurrected physical body. It's like this body, but it's not the same. But it's still physical. He's still eating. He's able to be touched. He's able to be seen. And so what's happening here is there's this need. There's this emptiness. There's this uh, despair. And the first thing he does, he shows up. He says, peace be with you. And then he says, here, look. You can touch me. I'm here. So what takes place here? Once he does this, he says, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they what? Saw the Lord. Now again, I love this. This is one of the things um, I've shared with you before that my background in church is very charismatic. We, We had a bunch of really good and some bad. And one of the bad that we had was because we embraced the Holy Spirit, it kind of created this idea where to feel and to touch was kind of a cheap substitute. We need to always have faith because God's invisible, He's not here, and we need to embrace the Holy Spirit. And so seeing, if I had a need, if you would, to touch and to feel, it's, there's something wrong about that. But what we're seeing here again, and what we see with communion, with foot washing, with baptism, there is a need for experience. There is a need for touching the invisible God. Now, we can't rely on this, but you have to understand that you need touch from God. It's okay. It's important to hear the words of affirmation sometimes, right? It's, it's important to, to, to have the Lord bless you with gifts. You guys are married five love languages, yeah? Okay, quality time with Jesus, right? That's yeah. all very important, right? But one thing that we need to remember is that we need the touch from God. There's something, uh, there's something affirming, reassuring when you get to touch Him. He is real. And so again, we see them rejoice when they're able to, to touch Him, to see Him again. 
And so what happens is in uh, verse 21, again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he what? Breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now let's stop right there. If you notice, he shows up, there's this huge need, they're lost, confused. He says, peace be with you here, touch me, I'm real. They find comfort from this. And then he says, but here's what's happening. I'm going to leave again, but peace be with you, touch this. And he gives them what? The Holy Spirit. So the comfort and, and if you would, the touch that they needed from the physical resurrected body of Jesus is now being transferred. The source of peace is now going to come from the eminence, the nearness of His very Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. If you guys have your notes, there's a couple of notes that you need. Understand this. The incarnation is the ultimate touch of God. What we're talking about, again, is, is where God comes down and takes on flesh. The incarnation, where God puts on a human form, okay? Where He comes, he, he comes low to us. He comes to the ultimate, touchable, approachable, understandable form, which is to be human. The incarnation is the ultimate touch of God. It's the beginning of God's decision to never withhold touch or love from those who would receive it. There's something else. This is a bit heady, but stay with me. I'll explain it. The Spirit is not absence or transcendence. The Spirit of God is the imminence, meaning just the nearness, being absolutely present. It's the imminence, the presence, and the nearness of God in Christ, present and available at all times. Understand, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about how Jesus had to go so the Holy Spirit could come down, right? And what happens sometimes is we get this idea where the Holy Spirit is kind of hovering and floating and flying, and he's just far away. He feels almost as far away as the Father feels sometimes, right? This idea there's, there's cosmos, there's stars, and for some reason, the house of God is at the end of like the Milky Way or something, right? He just, he feels, laugh, I mean, come on, really? I mean, like, that's how we really think, right? If I could just get in a spaceship and fly over there, I'd find them, right? You know, again, it's just the way we think. What this is, is the opposite. What this is, is, is Jesus giving us a nearness. Even His physical body could not provide us. The Holy Spirit becomes the ultimate uh, reassuring, comforting, affirming touch and, and affirmation from God that is always near. We always have the ability to grab His leg, if you would. Holy, holy, holy. We always have this nearness of God available in the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit is. It is the nearness, the imminence. It's, it's God being here. And understand that he, the Holy Spirit shows up for touch, if you would, to, to manifest the love and the nature of God in three areas. The first area is He does it to the believer, to us. He does it to the church, and He does it to the world. When you begin to search out the Scriptures, you see the Holy Spirit manifests specifically to affirm, to comfort, to, to speak love to us, to the church, and to unbelievers. Now, let's talk about all this stuff. You guys ready to learn about the gifts? Oh, Lord. Okay, please don't run out of the room, okay? I, I promise we'll do it really dr super boring and who knows what else. 
If you guys have your Bibles, go to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 6. What I love about the Holy Spirit, what I love about the way that God uh, designed the Holy Spirit, if you wouldn't, the way that God planned and chose to operate through us, is He does it in a way to where the Holy Spirit demands for us to come together. What I love about the Holy Spirit is that there's all these different giftings, if you will. There's all these different operations. There's these different roles. There's these different ways that we, that we meet the needs of each other. But what I love about it is that we need every single one of these needs to be met, and He hides them in each of us. What I used to believe was that if I could just be spiritual enough, pray enough, fast enough, spend enough time in my prayer closet, that I would get every need I needed from me and the Holy Spirit, from me and Jesus at my house. And I thought that because I didn't know the Scriptures. <laughs> but once I learned that, no. And what I didn't realize was that Jesus was fully present and near to me. The Holy Spirit was fully available to me at the same time he had purposely taken himself and hidden himself in all of you. What's so powerful about the picture that, that we get? In the Old Testament, we have the God who, who is present in this fire or in this cloud. We have this God who's present in this tent, you know, uh, the tabernacle, the God who's present in this temple, and then he disappears for a few hundred years, and then we have this God who's present in what? The body of Jesus. But then, he does something new. Then he makes himself available and present in all of these little temples and tabernacles, right? Because we become this holy place where the Spirit of God dwells, but we do not become the place where the fullness of Christ dwells. Because Christ has hidden himself in what? The church. The body of Christ, right? You might have access to the pinky of Christ all day long. <laughs> awesome. He has hidden himself. He has distributed himself amongst us. And we have this picture where the Apostle Paul is always correcting the churches in the way they use the gifts. He never talks about them without some correction because apparently they're hard to do. <laughs> Let's just acknowledge that, okay? But what happens is every single time he's trying to explain to them, no, 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 no. Step back. You need to acknowledge that, yes, prophecy is very, yes, you, Pastor Larry, yes, you know, you, Devin Walker, yes, you, you know, whoever else, yes, you're important, but what you have to understand is that so is this person and this person and this person and this person and this person. Yes, you have a gift, but guess what? Everyone else does too. I hate that, <laughs> right? It's terrible, right? It would be awesome if we could all just hide in our houses and just, you know, man, just... Have all of Jesus we need right there. But the Holy Spirit, when we are fully yielded to the Holy Spirit, we are being led into deep relationship, trust, and vulnerability with the church. The irony is some of, of the Christians I know who embrace the Holy Spirit the most reject the church the most because they misunderstand the nature of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit Himself who birthed and created the church on Pentecost. And he created this beautiful thing that is flawed in the best and worst ways possible. But Christ has, again, hidden himself among us that the world would truly only see the picture of Christ that it needs 
when the church is united and whole. Here we go. You guys have your Bibles? Romans 12, verse 6. I don't, I don't have time to read the context. I encourage you guys to go back to these passages. Uh, read the chapter before, the chapter after, so you have some context. He's, he, he always starts with talking about character. He's, he always starts with talking about uh, imitating and following Christ, and then he goes into the gifts. Because again, remember, the Holy Spirit is here to enable us to be what? Witnesses of Christ. He's coming to enable us individually and corporately to embody Jesus, to embody the kingdom of heaven. And without the Holy Spirit, we're unable to do that. But often it's easy for us to confuse the gifts with being the end, if you would. The gifts of the Spirit are a means to a greater end. Okay, uh, Sunday service is not about coming together and having a great feel-good time where the gifts are in operation. Okay, the, the, the gifts operate so that we grow up in Christ. Yeah, a bunch of amens to that one. So, yeah, so when the Holy Spirit shows up, it means we all got to grow up. How about that? Okay, sounds good. Here you go. Verse 6 in Romans. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do so uh, diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor each other above yourselves. Now, if, you had, if we had time to read the entire passage, he starts with talking about unity in the church, talks about your giftings, and then he ends with talking about what? Unity in the church. These gifts are supposed to build you up, to tape you together, and to make you able to love each other. Don't get me wrong. We have to love the world, but you have to understand something. You're unable to love your brother until you love Jesus. Does that kind of make sense? Until my ultimate love is Jesus, not myself, I am incapable of truly loving you because I want me to succeed more than you. I want my needs met more than yours. I want to be blessed and protected and needed and comforted more than you. So I must first love Jesus more than myself, and then I'm able to love you more than myself. And once I love you more than myself, people that I know, I spend time with, I'm around, now I'm able to love the world more than myself. And it goes in that order, too. The, the problem I found with myself when I spent time with the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, I used to say that I loved God so much. I just hated people. Yes, and I am a pastor. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, you're right. Odd, I know. Um, and I just couldn't get a... I hated to read the book of John, okay? <laughs> and James as well. First John, second John, all, all the Johns. I, I couldn't stay in John because you always want to talk about what? Love. I love 1 Corinthians 12. The gifts, baby. Yes. Hated 1 Corinthians, what? 13. And the greatest of all these is what? Love. Oh, crap. <laughs> Come on, be honest, right? Like that? Yeah, sure, prophesy. Okay, sure, that sounds great. Yeah. Oh, i got to love people. The end of the gifts, the reason the gifts exist is to enable you to be like Jesus, to build you up, to edify, to fill in the cracks, if you would, to, to heal the wounds, to, to encourage you, to, build, to, to lift you up, 
These are what enable us to follow Jesus, which ultimately looks like what? Love. Ultimately, when the Holy Spirit is at work in a church, it should create a church that looks like the cross. And I think a big reason that many progressive Christians and academic Christians have pushed away the Holy Spirit is because most churches to them that had the Holy Spirit looked the least like the cross than any other church that they knew of. And again, I think for us, the challenge for us is to fully embrace the Holy Spirit, not just to embrace the parts that we, that we like. When we fully embrace the Holy Spirit, not just the giftings, but what the giftings are trying to accomplish. When we allow the Holy Spirit to, go, to work, it's not all fun and games. I mean, even if all of you came from Pentecostal backgrounds and you wanted to get crazy in here, even if we got crazy, you would not be comfortable with what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. He's trying to stretch you. He's trying to challenge you. He's trying to get you to step into faith. He's trying to get you to obey God. And so the main reason that I, that I really, as a pastor, I used to resist the Holy Spirit on Sundays is I, I never saw people change. I always saw people love the, the, the gifts and get a powerful prophecy. God says, go do this. Yeah. You know, I dance. Come on, God. I've seen some stuff now. Come on. Okay. And then nothing. Same time, I also been to churches where we'd celebrate the word and, and the doctrine and yes, be like Jesus, love our enemies, and nothing. And what happens is the Spirit of God and the Word of God are at work in us to form us, to mold us like clay into the image of who? Christ. If you guys have your Bibles, I'm sorry, real quick, we have a list of the gifts here in Romans. You've got prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and mercy are all the gifts that we see at work. There are many gifts that don't get talked about much, Okay. We need the gift of giving in this house, amen? <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit get on you, okay? If you're called to give, give generously. But I want to prophesy. No, you need to give. No. <laughs> Anyways, all right. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. We're going to speed up just a hair here. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Uh, oh, actually, let's go ahead and start in 7. I'm sorry, guys. Start in 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the what? The common good. Most of the bad that we see in churches when the Holy Spirit is at work, it's because people are operating the gifts for what? Their good. It's all about them. The first test I give to anyone who wants to be in leadership or wants to operate in the gifting is, can you sit and watch? Can you serve? Can you do everything in the background without the spotlight for a long time and be okay with it? Because until you can, you don't need to be up here. Trust me, I had many years of that. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. It gets a little bit confusing here, okay? Uh, to another, miracles to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each just as He determines. 
what I love about the gifts as well is we don't necessarily get to choose the gifts we get at all. I know often, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I always wanted someone else's gift. I was like, oh, man, that gift looks so fun. I'm called to serving, <laughs> right, you know. My gift is service and mercy. It's my job to give everyone mercy, right? I'd be like, that sounds really boring. I'm not sure. Okay, maybe not. Maybe you're all called to mercy. It'd be awesome. You know, it just seems like the least exciting of all the gifts. But what happens with these gifts, again, is the Holy Spirit hands them out. And see, to operate in the gifts, it truly demands us to walk in grace. What this means is to operate in the gifts, we have to be able to not compare ourselves to each other. Okay? For me to, to run my lane, for me to, to play my role in this church, I have to be fully content with what God's called me to do. I cannot be looking at this person and that person, oh, well, I wish I had that gift. And oh, well, look at that. See what, you know, what that person gets to do and that person gets to do that. We have so many people that I see almost each week who want to do someone else's gift. Well, I want to sing on the stage. That looks like fun. Have you ever heard yourself in the shower? <laughs> Not your gifting. <laughs> Just a joke. Okay. Moving on. If you guys have your Bibles, go, uh, scoot on down to verse 27. Same chapter, 27. Now, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed the church in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to flip some more. Ephesians 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In essence, if, if myself and the other leaders in this church who are, who are called to if you would, to, to lifetime ministry. Our, our lives are devoted. We are given to the church. If, that's, if we're doing our job, we should basically be working ourselves out of a job. We should be enabled to serve and to lay down our lives in such a way that the church is matured and built up to where you do not need us anymore. Sound good? Everyone's like, can't wait for that day, right? All right. Now, if, if you guys look in 1 Corinthians 2.8, we have uh, this new list of gifts. So, 1 Corinthians 2.8 has the gifts of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healings, miracles, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. I want to clarify a couple of these that might be a little bit confusing, okay, with, with these lists here. We've got the, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. What's different between these two, the word of knowledge is more of a having information about a situation or a person that you should not have in the natural. Okay, I've, I've seen this one at work an awful lot. Um, uh, Spurgeon, as I told you, the, the, the famous uh, uh, preacher in London, he, you know, he has one that's very famous where he was preaching and he called out this guy who owned a shop. He said, you know, <laughs> you own a shop and you report only so much earnings and you keep all this money for yourself. And it basically, like, the guy in his journal, and he wrote down how it scared the poop out of him, you know. And uh, he never went back to church, but, you know, he knew that God was real, right? Just didn't want him to be that real. Um, words of wisdom are, are uh, more or less 
information and direction. It's, 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 it's when God speaks through someone to give someone understanding on how to act, if that makes sense. Okay, so, hey, I'm, should I go this way or that way? Should I take this job, that job? A word of wisdom helps them understand where God is wanting to lead them. If you get down here, we've got the gift of tongues. Again, what's complicated about tongues is that we see a different gift of tongues at work in the book of Acts than what we see in, in Corinthians. Um, even the Greek words that are used for these gifts are very different. Um, when we think about tongues, we think about personal gifting of tongues, which is kind of what's being talked about here, this, this idea to where we speak the tongues of angels. It's more of a heavenly language. It's where we have a deep connection with God in a certain way. Um, and then in the book of Acts, we see a gift of tongues where they're speaking other languages of the earth. It's a sign of wonder to the world, whereas this gift of tongues is more to edify you. Uh, now, this next thing we see, the interpretation of tongues. This is where we have this gifting at work to edify the church. Okay, and so it's the idea to where someone has the ability to where if Mike was speaking in tongues, I'd be able to interpret it so everyone can receive. Um, the Apostle Paul is very clear on these gifts. He's very clear about, about how really all of the gifts, with the exception of one, are all meant to do one goal, to build up the body of Christ. Okay? These gifts are not necessarily for the world. These gifts are for the church. These gifts are to make the church look like Jesus so that because we look like Jesus, they come to Christ. Does that make sense? It, it's not for us to walk in the streets being like, Shandai, you know, like Kismahanda, you know, like, or not. Maybe if, if, you, if you want to give it a try, you can. I don't know how well it'll go for you, you know, but you, you can try that. And the idea is that the Holy Spirit works in us to, to create us to look like Jesus, and because we look you know, we actually look like Jesus. Who doesn't want Jesus, right? Um, and so what goes on here in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we see the gifts of helps and uh, the gift to administrate. Now, those are the gifts in the church. Now, the ones I just covered in Ephesians are different. In Ephesians, we see the, the people, if you would, people themselves that are given as gifts to the church. Now, what this is, we see apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. What this is specifically is people that God has called that their entire life would be devoted to the church, simply put. The idea is that all Christians, each person in this room, has spiritual giftings. You have a role to play. There's things that God desires to provide, to meet needs, to edify, to build up, to serve each other, that if you're not obeying the Spirit of God, there's a hole missing. There's needs not being met when you don't operate in your giftings but you also probably have other things taking place in your life. You might have a job or a business. You have other things taking place. These gifts are what we call five-fold gifts. These are people that are wholly given their entire life as apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, uh, evangelists. Their entire life is devoted to edifying the church. See the difference there? Excited? All right, would you guys stay with me? We're going to go ahead.